It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. You're listening to World Weekly, a conversation with Financial Times correspondents and columnists today about Europe and its fraying union. I'm Mark Vandervelde, executive comment editor at the FT. It is, like the League of Nations, a high-minded attempt at international cooperation. But will the European Union, too, be swept away by events? That's the startling question raised by Gideon Rachman in his column this week, and he's here in the studio today to answer it. So is Tony Barber, the FT's Europe editor, and Peter Spiegel, who's in charge of the paper's Brussels bureau, is on the phone. Um, Gideon, the European Union used to feel like a kind of cushion against world events. Now it seems to make them worse. What's changed? Well, I think that it's been hit by a number of crises that it's coping with extremely badly. I mean, the two most obvious ones at the moment are the refugee crisis, where there is a sense of panic at the number of people heading into the European Union. And the measures that they're attempting to impose are both inadequate and hugely divisive. And then, of course, the euro crisis, which was the thing we were all talking about three months ago, hasn't really gone away. The structural issues have not been solved. So you have a massive social and economic crisis, which is then causing a political implosion. And the third thing I'd point to is the growing risk that Britain will leave the European Union when it has a referendum. If you'd asked me three months ago, would the Brits vote to leave? I would have said no, probably not. Look at the polls. They look fine. They look encouraging for the pro-EU camp. But I think the risk of Britain leaving is rising. The polls look less encouraging and the migrant crisis, unfortunately, plays directly to the most potent argument that the better off out camp have, which is that if you're in the EU, you can't control your borders. And so I think you put those three things together. It's a really dangerous situation. But just briefly to sum up my argument. People in Brussels will say, and correctly, that the EU has weathered many, many crises before, often progressed afterwards. I think these crises are qualitatively different because it's not obvious what the way out of the euro crisis or the refugee crisis is. And therefore, I think it's possible that even if the EU doesn't actually collapse like the League of Nations, it will increasingly be bypassed by national governments, which will say, look, we don't have the time to hang around. We've got to start acting. So it'll start crumbling. Now, Peter, you've lost a lot of sleep in the past five years, staying up all night with European leaders as they try to tackle these problems. Do you think that they think that they'd be better off dealing with them on their own? Well, I think that's the case in the migrant crisis. We've seen individual countries, particularly the Hungarians, saying this is a crisis made of the EU. We should be left on our own to deal with it on our own. And so you've seen some countries do that. I guess where I would disagree with Gideon is I would draw a distinction between the Eurozone crisis and the migration crisis. The Eurozone crisis is a crisis of the EU's own making. They invented the euro. They clearly created with flaws. And frankly, it had the impact of really devastating lives in Greece and elsewhere. The migration crisis would have happened with or without the EU, and I'm not sure individual member states would have been able to handle this any better without the EU. And frankly, I do actually think this would be one of those crises that will pass. The numbers, although they seem overwhelming, are a very small percentage of the total population of Europe. This is a matter of trying to find housing stock and refugee camps that have been done in the past. I'm thinking the Balkan crisis, where Europe more generally was able to absorb 
rather large migration of peoples from the Balkans into Europe, and it did relatively successfully. So I think this one will pass. The Eurozone crisis, I think, is potentially more of a problem in the longer term, though. I suppose the counterpoint to that, Peter, might be lots of people would say that it's because the European Union has opened borders between all the member states. That's amplified the migration crisis beyond what it would have been. Well, let's just try to rethink about how this would have unfolded had there not been open borders within Europe. The Hungarians and the Greeks and the Italians will still have had massive inflows, people trying to get from those countries into other European countries. We would have seen masses of people at the Austrian-Hungarian border still, at the Italian-French border still, and at Greece's border with all its neighboring countries. So these migrants would have shown up in different places, perhaps, and it would have been as easy to get into Germany or into Austria, but there still would have been masses of people at borders of European country. It may look different, but I don't think in substance it would be much different. Tony Barber, you got to Brussels in 2007 at what I suppose in retrospect seems like quite a serene time, though at the time it didn't seem like a picnic. Are these crises worse than what the European Union faced then, do you think? Or is this something that will pass? If you go back 10 years, then I don't think anyone who was around in 2005 will forget the sense of shock around Europe when two founder members of the EU, France and the Netherlands, voted no to a proposed constitutional treaty that was meant to be another milestone on the road to European integration. The idea that two countries that are right at the core of this project had voted no was a tremendous shock. However, a couple of years later, the governments of the EU collectively signed a new treaty, the Lisbon Treaty, that kept more or less everything that was in the treaty that had failed. And at that time, I distinctly remember a mood of moderate optimism around Europe. I remember the night after the Lisbon Treaty was signed in the Portuguese capital, I was invited to dinner with the then Portuguese Prime Minister, and he was really happy, and so were others around the table. This was 12 months before the global financial crisis swept across Europe, of course, and there definitely was a blind spot among European leaders to that problem. I think the core issue here is that the institutions that Europe built for its single currency and for free movements of people were never strong enough to cope with the sheer scale of what happened in the euro crisis and what is happening now in the refugee crisis. However, I do think with regard to the refugee crisis that the principle of free movement contained in the Schengen Agreement is so important to business around Europe and to governments that it will probably hold. And I think also that as long as you do not have a right-wing or left-wing populist leader coming to power in one of the main European countries, I'm thinking here of someone like Marine Le Pen in France, then I think a constant effort to at least manage these problems will be in place and therefore prevent chaotic disintegration. Gideon, does this soothe your fears? A little bit. Look, I think that Tony's right to point to the fact that as long as there are centre-right and centre-left governments running the show, they will try to keep it on the road and they have a record of coming up with some kind of fix, even if it's inadequate. But I don't think that the far right and the far left can be dismissed because these crises, both the euro and the refugee problems, play to their central critique, which is that the European Union has gained 
too much power, that it's taken away the rights of nation states and that we're now living with the effects. And I think those are more potent arguments than the Brussels-based bureaucracy ever really wanted to acknowledge. And they're likely to gather force. And even if the far right and far left don't gain power, they will affect, already are affecting the political discourse. So you can see that Nicolas Sarkozy, who is probably going to be the next president of France if he wins the 2017 presidential election, is adopting some of the positions of the far right, particularly on Schengen and free movement of people. Now, whether he would really repeal it if he became president, I think Tony's right. If he came in, business would say, no, you can't possibly do that. But I think you will see growing restrictions and growing acrimony And I think the other thing to bear in mind is that we're already in a position that nobody really anticipated with both the euro crisis and the refugee problem. And once these things get rolling, they do have unpredictable consequences. And I'm not as sanguine as Peter that the refugee issue is as controllable and that it will simply pass. Maybe. Let's hope so. But there are four million Syrians living outside Syria now in very uncomfortable and difficult situations. And if they can get to Europe... Well, why wouldn't they? And they're not the only group. They're the biggest group. But there are a lot of Afghans heading this way as Afghanistan begins to slide downwards after NATO's withdrawal. So unless the EU adopts incredibly draconian policies of the sort the Hungarians are attempting to do, which will be very difficult for a liberal opinion within the EU to swallow, I think you will continue to get very large flows coming into Europe. Peter, I just wonder about this question of mood. At the beginning of the year, many people were taken by surprise by the rise of Syriza in Greece. Now Clement Attlee's Labour Party is also led by someone who's ambivalent towards Europe and widely considered to be a populist. Are these worries that are taken seriously in Brussels? Yeah, I think this is where I agree with Gideon's analysis. It's that these crises have shifted from, in the Eurozone crisis case, an economic crisis, and the case of migrants, call it a policy or a migration crisis, to a political crisis. These issues are much more difficult now to deal with on a political level than they are even from a policy perspective. Look, Greece can be saved. The amount of money needed sounds large, but frankly, it's rounding error when it comes to the size of the German economy or the Eurozone economy as a whole. Similarly, I would argue again that the numbers that are coming into Europe are infinitesimal when looked at the total population of Europe and could be absorbed with relative ease. The problem, as Gideon points out, is that crisis coming after crisis has really given new fodder to these populist movements. And again, it's not just Syriza and Greece. It's not just some of these fringe countries that are on the borders that have gone through the crisis. It is the core. It is Italy. It is Spain. It is France. And even there are signs in Germany where you have anti-Muslim demonstrations, you have now collapsed, but the alternative for Deutschland party. So this is where I think most people in Brussels are watching and are very nervous. It is the ability of these populist parties, the non-traditional outside parties, to use these crises one after the other to build momentum to get into elective office. So again, I think from a policy perspective, the migration crisis is probably solvable. The question is, can it be solved politically? And if you see what's going on in Hungary and some of these other countries, that's where the biggest question lies. Turbulent times. We shall see. Tony Barber, Peter Spiegel, Gideon Rachman, many thanks. I'm Mark van der Velde. Until next week, that's World Weekly from the Financial Times.